And as is tradition here at La Sierra, we're not going to stand. We normally stand for the reading of the Word. But as is tradition, we will listen to the Word of God before the sermon. But we're going to listen to it through song today. Because we are in the Lord's Prayer, I thought it would be a wonderful way to open up Scripture through song today, through this beautiful piece that we know so well. Happy uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> Those of you who know this song well knows that there's a little bit more, right? Yes. Would you like to hear it? Yes. No. <laughs> I've been back for three months and today I say no. <laughs> the strange thing about the Lord's Prayer is that for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is not in the text. If you look in your Bible in Mark, uh, not Mark, in Matthew, you will see that at the end of verse 13, there is a little footnote. If you go to the Gospel of Luke, the footnote is not even present. 
And the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke is truncated even more. It is shorter. It omits a few things that Matthew has. So if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, in which we are rooted for our sermon series, As in Heaven, on the Lord's Prayer, today I'm supposed to be preaching on, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. But it's not there. So what do we do? Amen. I know we all want this to resolve, right? It's it's uncomfortable with us when we hear this familiar song and this beautiful song, and thank you so much, Enoch and Juliana, for the beautiful music. We want it to resolve, but Scripture and Scripture, it's not there. So what do we do with it? Well, let's back up a little bit. We go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. We'll read it together again. So, um, pray then this way is what Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, footnote, the Word of God. You see, the Lord's Prayer does not end with this doxology in the original manuscript. It is a footnote in many Bibles. Some translations do include it. And like I said, Luke's version does not have the footnote at all. And most of the Bibles, the footnote will say, other ancient authorities add in some form, for yours is the kingdom, power, glory, forever. Some ancient authorities add this. Interesting. Now, who were these ancient authorities? Well, they were scribes. We did not have, they did not have a printing press at that time, and so documents, there was oral history, and so passages and stories were told orally, and then uh, there was maybe one document, and then somebody would read it out loud, and people would listen and hear the Word of God. And then there were scribes who took the one copy and then copied from that copy. As my kids said when I told them about that, oh, what a terrible job to have. We just copy and paste, and we're like, oh, we've got to copy and paste. Command V, you know, Command C, Command V. They had to sit down and write the entire thing. Imagine if you made a mistake. Oops. <laughs> Start again. This doxology is not in the original manuscript, and it may have something to do with scribes. See, the translations uh, in our Bibles are based on ancient manuscripts. Ancient Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, and Greek manuscripts. And there are various families of these manuscripts. And when we look at uh, Matthew chapter 6 and the fact that the doxology is omitted there, we see that there are two text types, two families of manuscripts, as you can see up uh, on the screens, uh, from which our Bible translations come. So the first one on the left is from the Byzantine text type, family. You will notice that the Byzantine text uh, comes from Eastern Christianity, and the Byzantine manuscripts are actually late. So those manuscripts were written later or copied later. 
around the 5th century is the earliest late manuscript that we have um, for the Byzantine text type. But even though the Eastern documents um, were written later, they were discovered earlier. Everybody still with me here? So they're written later, they were discovered earlier, and so they made its way uh, into our scripture uh, for up until the Protestant Reformation, essentially. Um, and we will see in the Byzantine text type that the doxology is included there, partly because it is a late manuscript. And an example of this would be the King James Version, uh, which was published in 1611. At that time, they did not have access to the newer manuscripts. Um, so, on the right, you will see the Alexandrian uh, text-type manuscript family from which um, we helped to get our Bible translations from. And this is found in Western Christianity, or, uh, and these manuscripts uh, from the Western Christian world, the Alexandrian text-type, are early manuscripts. So they were copied and written early uh, in the history of the Christian church, around the end of the third century after Jesus and the beginning of the, of the fourth century. And these early manuscripts were discovered late in the 19th century. Everybody still with me? Makes sense, right? And it's interesting that in the early manuscripts that were discovered late, in the early manuscripts, um, the doxology is not present there. And so most modern translations we have today, if you go to BibleGateway.com or on your app or if you have a physical Bible, you will notice most of them do not have that. But there is a footnote. And so for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Found our way into Bibles that were based on later manuscripts. And then as we discovered the new ones, we update because for biblical scholarship, the older manuscripts, the earlier manuscripts are believed to be truer to form. Interesting. So the question then becomes, how did for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever make it into a footnote in our Bible and also into our Christian worship? A prayer that is said across the world probably by billions of people every weekend. How did that happen? So the answer to that is Christian worship, what we are doing here today. They had access uh, to their manuscripts, but then in worship, like we at the end of uh, reading our scripture, we usually say the word of God, and you say? Thanks be to God. It is something that has become part of our La Sierra Christian liturgy for worship. And so many people believe that this doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is something that found its way into Christian worship uh, around 90 after Jesus. The first um, document that we find where it is actually written is the Didache, and the Didache is kind of a commentary, an early Christian and the first Christian commentary um, on Scripture. And that was around the year 90 after Jesus, like I had said. So, it made its way into Christian worship. It was a verbal thing that made its way in Christian worship. It made its way in a commentary, the first commentary on Christian theology in the year 90. 
But the language is taken from the Old Testament where David celebrates the gifts that were brought to build the temple. And in 1 Chronicles 29, David prays this beautiful prayer, which goes like this. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Isn't that beautiful? Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. Isn't that beautiful? You just want to say amen, right? Which is what the early Christian church did. As they said the Lord's Prayer in Christian worship, it made its way into official um, commentary on it. When the Lord's Prayer was said or read, people would go, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What an appropriate response to the goodness and greatness of God. So, one last thing. What in all likelihood happened, and majority of scholars have consensus on this, is that those scribes who were copying took the Christian tradition and liturgy of saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, a shortened version of David's praise to God. When they said this out loud in congregation, it made its way into the margins. And I have a slide here of manuscript margins. This is not a, the exact one, but this is an example of how scribes would very often make commentary or notes in the margins of their columns. Those of you at school, if you still use physical books, or even if you do it on a tablet, you make notes as you study for your exams or uh, whatever you're doing. So the scribes did something similar. Sometimes they would add something in the margins and somehow, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever move from the margins into the text. The community's words and celebration and the doxology moved from the margins into the text and became a part of our Christian heritage. The question now is, so, so what? And what do we do with that? Interesting, here's a, a picture of three scenes from Romeo and Juliet. Anybody familiar with Romeo and Juliet? I'm sorry if you have to study it in school. I remember I took English as a, as a first language. English is my second language. When I was in South Africa, I decided, wow, I'm really good at English as a second language. I'm going to get English as a first language, which was an option for me. I took it, and Romeo and Juliet and Shakespeare was the first book we were studying. And the notes... The notes on the notes on the text, I couldn't understand. <laughs> so I don't know if any of you are there uh, with me like that. But this is the famous scene, right? Where Romeo comes to the balcony and Juliet is there. And what does, what does Romeo say? Or just Juliet? Romeo, Romeo, oh. Yeah. The problem with this is... The problem with this is that the balcony scene does not appear in Shakespeare. Yeah. Everything you've ever learned is wrong. Amen. Let's go home. There's no doxology. There's no balcony. <laughs> just hang on a little bit, okay? Darren, just hang on, okay? 
Um, you know we'll wrap it up. <laughs> so I read this fascinating article by an um, you know, English historian um, of Shakespeare, and the word balcony does not appear in the play. In fact, what it was more likely is a window and on ground level. Um, there was no word for balcony in England. It actually only started, uh, I believe, 20 or 30 years later. I don't remember now. But the original was a window, not a balcony. But as the story moved and society and culture changed and balconies became a thing, it made sense to make it a balcony because the drama in it all. There's this separation between Romeo and Juliet. And is this love going to last? Are they going to come together? Which, when you're standing through the window, it just doesn't quite cut it, does it? <laughs> but uh, if you're up in the balcony, like the McFarlane's over there, and I'm down here, there's that separation. This is what the historian Lois Levine writes about this. This quote's on the screen. The history of how the balcony scene evolved over the past four centuries reveals that even when it comes to Shakespeare, audiences may care less about the original text than about adaptions and revisions that appeal to the sensibilities of the current era. Adaption, adaptation, sorry, adaptation is not a violation of some unutterable essence of Shakespeare's, whatever that word is, raw. Adaption is not a violation of the essence of Shakespeare's works. It's integral to our experience of his work. You and I cannot imagine that scene without a balcony in it. And so it is the spirit of Shakespeare that has been passed on to gener through generations as this play has been enacted time and time and time again. But the balcony was not there. And, my friends, in the same way with the Lord's Prayer and the doxology in Matthew 6, I think in the same way with what this historian said about the essence of Shakespeare still being in the balcony scene is that in the doxology for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is the essence of the gospel. And it is the early community that took their response to the Lord's Prayer and said, yes, God, we praise you. You are first and foremost. For you, yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory. And somehow that became moved from the margins into the text. And now it is not in the margins of our lives, but it's at the core and the center of our lives. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is both biblical in content and it is appropriate to the spirit of Jesus. It is the essence of Jesus' kingdom, a teaching about the kingdom of God. So I'm glad it is a footnote in our scripture, and I'm glad it is in the liturgy of our experience. Two quick things about the doxology itself. The first is that the doxology teaches us that the kingdom is God's, not ours. I'll say that again with a loud amen afterwards. The kingdom is God, not ours. Amen. Unless you want to be self-centered. 
The kingdom is not ours, it is God. The power is not ours, it is God's. The glory is not ours, it is God's. The doxology affirms to God and to us and to the world and our community that it's not about me, it is all about God. That is the very heart of the gospel message. Remember the context of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where Jesus has the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer is tucked right at the heart of it. But just before, remember Matthew 6 verse 2, Jesus said, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do so in the synagogue and the streets to be honored by others. Jesus says, it's, it's not about you, it's about God. Or in Matthew 6, verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by everybody. It is not about me, it is about God. Or Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others how they are fasting. The context of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and the Lord's Prayer here is humility, and that the kingdom and the power and the glory are God's, not ours. The kingdom is God's, not ours. The second teaching from the doxology is that the kingdom is God's and not the world's. It doesn't say for the, for the kingdom is the world's. For the majority of Jesus' listeners, the kingdom was not God's but Rome's. And there was concrete evidence of them left, right, and center through, through violent oppression, through economic oppression. The kingdom is God's, not the world's. The world's kingdom is about military might and economic extortion, religious oppression, political gain and ideological power. Do we see that every day? That's what the world's kingdoms are about. But the kingdom is not the world's. The kingdom is God's. And what kind of kingdom does God have? It's a kingdom of love and peace. What kind of power does God have? It's the power of nonviolence and self-sacrifice. What kind of glory does God have but the glory of humility and self-sacrifice and service? Remember, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. What kind of kingdom and power and glory is this? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for God's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not the world's. The kingdom is not ours. The kingdom is God's. Jesus goes on to talk in the Sermon on the Mount about us being salt and light, not guns and bombs. Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in the 73 wars that are going on across the world right now. 73. 
Jesus said, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. What kind of kingdom and power and glory is it? It's not the world's. It's not ours. It's God's. Where Jesus says, in his kingdom, you love your enemies. In God's kingdom, you do not judge before you get judged. In God's kingdom, he says, in everything you do unto others, do it as you would have it be done to you. And Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, be doers of the word, not just hearers or tweeters or Instagram posters. Be doers of the word. The kingdom is God's, not the world's. In a world of religious oppression, military might, economic extortion, political gain, and ideological power, God's kingdom power and glory is of peace and love, nonviolence and self-sacrifice, humility and service. Thanks be to God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What an appropriate response to the gospel and to this Lord's prayer. It is both biblical in content and appropriate to the spirit of the prayer itself. And I'm so glad that it's part of our Christian worship and that it moved from the margins into the text. So, listen for the word of God in song. We will listen to the song again. And when we get to for thine, I don't know what key it is, is the kingdom. It's gonna be high, so pitch it low. I would like for you to please stand when we get to that segment. Juliana will let you know as well. And we're gonna sing the doxology of the Lord's Prayer together as a community in the spirit of the early Christian church and two millennia of Christian worship. You'll do that with me? Thank you.
Please be seated. The sermon's not done. That's one of the most beautiful things I've experienced in our community. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, Enoch, Chiliana. The spirit of the Lord's Prayer is alive and well with us. We've moved from the margins into the center of the Word of God, and the Word of God is a living, breathing document. In fact, it's not a living, breathing document, it's a living, breathing Word. And the Word is God incarnate in Jesus and empowered through the Spirit in us today. The Word of God is not a stagnant document. It's not a stagnant thing. It moves and it moves and it moves. And 2,000 years later, here we are still singing, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. How powerful. And so my friends, though the doxology in Matthew 6 is not officially, quote-unquote, in the manuscripts, in saying it and living it and seeing it, we live and breathe God's Word today. We expand God's kingdom by singing and praying the Lord's Prayer in our lives and in this world. And we move with the movement of the kingdom that is God's and the power that is God's and the glory that is God's. And by the way, it is not a once-off thing. It's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And we say, amen. We do this with God as foundation and as the goal of our faith. God is both the foundation and the goal. One more thing. There are three you petitions and three us petitions and a threefold doxology. The scribes who put this together and the Christian community that summarized David's prayer, they didn't do this haphazardly. They thought about this carefully. Because our faith is a reasoned faith. The three you petitions, holy is your name, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, is matched by the three us petitions. And like Pastor Icky and other pastors said throughout our sermon series, we move in the Lord's Prayer from me to we, right? Give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into the time of trial. 
And so as the community responds to, to this threefold petition about God and about us, they respond with a threefold doxology. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. Isn't that beautiful? What's more beautiful about this is that it helps us to understand that the gospel is about God first and foremost, and then us. Because as you see the, the threefold doxology, the us in the middle, we're enveloped with God from both sides. In the Christian liturgy, as we say and sing and pray and live this, the us in the middle is enveloped by God. And that is the only way to truly worship and live in light of the love and gospel of Jesus. It makes me think about um, this, the beginning of the school year, uh, well, in January, um, I agreed to coach uh, La Sierra Academy's soccer team, along with my fantastic coaches, Rob Cortez, who's not here, and Alicia Thomas, who is here. Football is life. For those of you who've seen Ted Lasso, if you haven't, go watch it. Uh, soccer, football is life. Grew up with it, it is, it is so God, spouse, soccer, maybe kids, uh, in that order. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> um, so I decided, because Levi is in eighth grade at the academy this year, and I decided that I would volunteer my time. I wasn't sabbatical, a lot of other things going on in my life, but. I'm gonna to volunteer to coach soccer, and as Alicia and Rob knows, this is not, this is at least 10 hour commitment per week. And we were smart enough to start four or five weeks early because the students, you know, they need conditioning and the root of all good sports is conditioning. And anyways, so we, I signed up for this and enjoyed doing this. And then on President, President's Day in February, we had uh, a practice, first time we played full field, and we had a practice that day. Levi is on the team, one of our ringers, you know. And, um, and we played, we just started. There were three touches in the game. Levi had the third touch of the entire game. It was his first touch. And somehow, as he went for the ball, he kind of just stepped on the ball weirdly and fell on his arm. As soon as he got up, I was refereeing, I was right behind him, I saw it happen. As soon as, I, as soon as he got up, everybody was like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm good. And they're like, no, I'm not. And you could see him holding his arm, and his arm was like this. I was like, oh, no. And so the first thing you do as a parent is going like, ah, oh, now we can't play soccer. Oh, sorry, Levi, Levi. Um, so, so we rushed to Kaiser, um, to urgent care, and um, Mr. Andre Ragsack and Susie, who is an RN there, and Andre is a PA. Some of us are laughing down here because if you've tracked the sermons over the last while, <laughs> Pastor Steve, our director of finance, had a basketball accident with these whatever all it was, rushed to urgent care at Kaiser, and Andre was there to help and guide them through on the speed line and take care of them of Steve. A couple months later, Pastor Icky went to urgent care at Kaiser, and Mr. Raksak was there again. He's like, oh, we got another pastor here, Pastor Icky, let's go. And helped him with all his stuff and get surgery lined up or whatever. I get there and it is slammed. I guess everybody goes to urgent care on President's Day. 
But Susie and Andre were there and they said, let me help you. Three pastors, Ben, you're next. Yeah. Uh, Susie and Andre, I know you're watching, you're on vacation, just be ready for Pastor Ben next, okay? Um, anyways, uh, here's a picture of the x-ray, this is what happened. Um, I don't know how well you can see this, but Levi broke his radius and ulna, is that what you call them? Not the tibia and fibia, so. <laughs> radius and ulna, and as you can see from both angles, it's, it's quite, quite bad. Uh, obviously for Levi, this was very disappointing because uh, he, he came to the academy, wanted to play with his friends, uh, and he's really good at soccer, and, and so it's disappointing for him. But for me, I was so bummed. I was depressed for probably two or three days because I really thought about not coaching anymore. The entire reason that I volunteered 10 hours of my time, all my gas money to drive wherever we're driving, Alicia, so far to different places. Game day is usually a five or six or seven hour day. But Levi's not gonna play. And I wanted to coach Levi and see him play. And now, with a lot of other things going on at home, I, have assistant coaches, but I signed up to be the head coach and mentor this team, but I don't want to do it. Because, because I am at the heart of this scenario. This is about me and my time and my son and us playing together. But then, um, then I came to my senses, because football is life, even without Levi. Sorry, Levi. Levi's been part of all our practices and things like that. Unfortunately, he's gonna miss the whole season. But for two or three days, I was really depressed and I didn't know if I'm gonna see this through. But then my youth pastor heart kind of came back. I was a youth pastor here for 10 years. I just love hanging out with the kids. And um, you know, we started, um, we started playing games and things like that. And I just love um, my coaches who've en enveloped me with help and support. Here's a picture of Rob and myself, Alicia wasn't there. Um, but yeah, you do what coaches do, you just look. And, um, and it's the most nerve-wracking thing I've done in my life. Um, but it's also a beautiful thing. But the coaches, they enveloped me. <laughs> Say, this is about us going forward. Um, and then we started playing and it was just beautiful. And then uh, here's a picture of the students. Uh, Walt is there who was playing bass today. Lenny on the drums is there. All the other students, Levi's there and the three coaches. This was the game that we, we killed. It was 7-1, um, the other team. We're undefeated so far. Um, but that picture right there, and I don't have a picture now, but at the end of each game before, we all bring our hands in together, and then we're a circle of us. Not a me as a coach, or us as a coaches, but as a circle of us, and we envelop each other, and the players and coaches envelop me, and we say, hoorah nights on three, one, two, three, hoorah nights. And it's been a beautiful, experience for me and something I needed during this season in my life. And I'm so glad that my coaches and players enveloped me and enveloped Levi so that we can be part of the team and do what we want to do, and that's just play soccer.
for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This threefold petition about God being God and, and, and we being in the middle and the doxology, God envelops us with God's love and power and wisdom and grace. And so we live our lives enveloped in God's kingdom, where God has the glory, the power, and the honor, where God is the one whose kingdom it is. And so we build our lives on the foundation who is Jesus. And each time we pray and say and sing the Lord's Prayer, we embody the gospel of Jesus. Now and forevermore. Amen.